What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast, aka JT Sports Live. I'm your host, JT. If you haven't already, make sure that you guys leave a like and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm sorry for the delay. We had some technical difficulties. I said that I was going to record this offline, but for some reason, I'm better doing this thing live than I am doing it offline. I got a really exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to be discussing how good will Deshaun Watson be for the Browns this year? Are the Green Bay Packers rebuilding? We're going to be going over the NFL offseason's best staff hires. Why I believe the Washington Huskies will win the Pac-12 this year. And Netflix is releasing a new documentary series titled quarterback i'm going to be giving my thoughts on it reacting to the trailer make sure if you haven't already that you listen and subscribe to the jt sports podcast we're not just available on youtube you can find us on all audio platforms wherever you get your podcast from apple google spotify amazon you can find the jt sports podcast Leave us with a five-star review if you enjoy. You can find the links to the podcast down in the description down below. All you got to do is go to the description, scroll down a little bit, and you will find the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. Or you can go to whichever podcasting service that you use, type in the JT Sports Podcast, and it will show up. Let's start off with this. Deshaun Watson, when he came off that 11-game suspension last year, he was looking really, really rusty. And most of us who had realistic expectations for him understood that he probably wasn't going to be all that great coming out the gate. However, I wasn't expecting Deshaun Watson to be as bad as what he was last year. He had seven touchdowns, five interceptions, and he completed 58% of his passes and He wasn't really making a lot of good decisions with the football. He was kind of forcing the issue at times. His accuracy was up and down. It just wasn't really a good start to Deshaun Watson's career in Cleveland. And going into 2023, I said it a couple of days ago, I believe that the Cleveland Browns are the NFL's biggest mystery going into this season because they have the potential, the ceiling, to be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. But their floor also could be six to seven wins. It largely depends on what version of Deshaun Watson are they going to get this year. Are you going to get the Deshaun Watson that you envisioned when you first traded for him and gave him that $250 million guaranteed contract? Or are you going to get the version of Deshaun Watson that we saw last year coming off that suspension? Now, I still believe that Deshaun Watson is amongst the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I probably will still rank him as a top 10 quarterback. And that the Cleveland Browns are going to have a shot at being able to make it to the postseason in this division. They need Deshaun Watson to return to the quarterback that he was in Houston. The AFC North is arguably the best division, the toughest division in the NFL this season. You got the Ravens and Bengals, who pretty much are premier Super Bowl contenders. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be a better team than what they were last year. And for Kevin Stefanski, he has a lot of pressure going into this season, man, because there's no more excuses for him. You got your guy at quarterback. You got a really good team. 
the Browns should be able to at least be able to make it to the postseason this year. And if the Cleveland Browns struggle this year, I think it largely could be due in part to Deshaun Watson not having a good season. Deshaun Watson has a really good team around him. He has a top 10 offensive line. He has a really good group of wide receivers. You traded for Elijah Moore. You have rookie Cedric Tillman, who was one of my favorite receivers coming out of this past year's draft. You got Amari Cooper, and you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, along with tight end David Njoku, and one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL with Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford, who I think is going to have a breakout season. For Deshaun Watson, there's no reason why he shouldn't have a better 2023 campaign as opposed to how he performed last season. Now, last season, we knew that he had a lot of off-the-field things that he was dealing with that kind of distracted him from being able to fully focus on the year. He also was coming on a new team, trying to learn a new playbook, a new system, trying to get acclimated and getting chemistry and timing down with new teammates. So going into this year, with the offseason that has no distractions where he should be able to fully put all his focus on the field and he's going to be able to go into training camp not having to worry about a possible suspension he's going to have better knowledge and grasp on the playbook he's going to have better timing with his teammates Deshaun Watson should have a really fantastic season for the Cleveland Browns this year he probably should be the front runner for comeback player of the year And as I mentioned earlier, if the Browns are going to have a chance at being able to make it to the playoffs this year, it's going to be largely due in part to the playoff Deshaun Watson. And if Kevin Stefanski isn't able to get the Browns to the postseason this year, he most likely is going to be out of a job come 2024. Kevin Stefanski has a lot of things riding on Deshaun Watson. And for Deshaun Watson, there's a lot of pressure on him to produce this year signing the largest fully guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL. Deshaun Watson, when you think about some of the characteristics about him that made him one of the best QBs in the game, when he was playing for the Houston Texans, it was his ability to extend plays by a time when things are breaking down, how good he is as a runner. He's also really accurate on the run and when he's moving outside of the pocket. Cleveland needs that version of Deshaun Watson to return in 2023. The AFC North is really tough. The Steelers have an elite defense. The Ravens have an elite defense. The Bengals are going to have a really good defense. You got a lot of good defensive coordinators in this conference, in this division. For the Cleveland Browns to be able to have a successful season, we know that it's going to come down to the performance of Deshaun Watson. And I'm still a believer in Deshaun Watson. I was a little bit surprised that he performed as bad as what he did last year. I thought that he was going to come out and be a little bit rusty, but I thought he was going to get better every single week, and we never really saw that. So this year, he has no more excuses. He has no distractions. He's going to have better timing and chemistry with his teammates. He has an even better team this year than what he had to work with last year. There are some Browns fans that would tell you that Some of the reasons why Deshaun Watson struggled was because the offense that Kevin Stefanski had built wasn't really tooled towards Deshaun Watson's skill set. It was built around Jacoby Brissett. And when Deshaun Watson came in, 
the offensive line had to readjust to him being underneath center. The wide receivers had to adjust to Deshaun Watson. So for Deshaun Watson going into 2023, I expect him to be playing at a really high level. And when you're in the division that has two of the best quarterbacks in the game in Lamar and Joe Burrow, you're going to need Deshaun Watson to be able to step up big in this division. And the first two games of the season that the Browns kick off with are the Cincinnati Bengals at home. Then they got to travel on the road to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we're going to find out fairly quickly just how good Deshaun Watson is going to be this year. As I said, the Cleveland Browns have the potential to be able to compete in the AFC and possibly make it to the Super Bowl. But they also could be a bad enough team where they underachieve and they only win six to seven games is largely going to depend on the play of Deshaun Watson. You're giving this guy $250 million guaranteed. This dude better come out and produce, and he better produce at an elite level. I can understand him coming out a little rusty last year, even though I don't expect you to struggle against you know, the Saints. I don't really expect you to struggle against the Washington Commanders. I don't expect you to struggle against the Houston Texans, but okay, whatever. I'm just going to act like last season didn't happen. He's going into this year with the clean slate. No more excuses. He needs to play better, and I feel he will play better. And if he does, expect Cleveland to be in the playoff conversation. Now, a couple of days ago, I released a video saying... How good would the Green Bay Packers be if Jordan Love is actually good? And I believe that the Green Bay Packers are not as bad as a team as many people are making them out to be. A lot of people think that the Green Bay Packers aren't going to be good at all. They're going to be the worst team in their division. And I had a comment on this segment by a viewer who actually said that he believes that Jordan Love is going to be a bridge quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So, Cooper Beckville, 1853, commented on my recent segment about the Packers and Jordan Love and said that we've seen him in many games, enough games to know what he is. And what is that? A bridge, a bridge in the rebuild. So far for fans in the media, it doesn't look like or feel like a rebuild. The 2024 draft is full of incredible talent. The Green Bay Packers are in a great position acquiring draft capital from the Rodgers trade to get their QB of the future. Jordan Love is a illusionary tool to acquire that quarterback. Wow. People just have no faith in Jordan Love. This man just called Jordan Love a bridge quarterback, people. Why is everybody so love on Jordan Love? Show some love to Jordan Love, man. I don't think Jordan Love is going to be that bad. This guy has been sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for how many years? It's not like this dude is going to be coming in and he's not going to have knowledge of the offense. I mean, I think that Jordan Love should have a pretty good grasp of this offense. And I think that when you look at this Packers coaching staff, I think that Coach LaFleur and company are going to make things easy for Jordan Love to start the season. And as we progress throughout the season, we should expect Jordan Love to be better. Now, I'm not saying that Jordan Love is going to come out this year and he's going to be like what Mahomes was after his first season in the league. 
But I do think that Jordan Love is going to be a lot better than what people are expecting. And this team is built to have success. How far this team goes this year is largely going to be dependent on how Jordan Love plays. The wide receiver position is really good. You got Christian Watson. You got Romeo Dobbs. You got rookie out of Michigan State, Jaden Reed. Your offensive line has a lot of talent and depth. Now, your defense under Joe Barry, a lot of Packers fans don't really have a lot of confidence in Joe Barry as their defensive coordinator, but they do have some really good pieces on that side of the football. And last year, you got to remember that Joe Barry was dealing with some injuries. Rashawn Gary probably could have been in the running for defensive player of the year. I mean, he was going absolutely crazy until he went down with that ACL injury. And you have linebacker Quay Walker going into year two. He could be in for a breakout season. Preston Smith had eight and a half sacks last year. And you got a pretty good secondary, even though we don't know who the hell is going to be playing free safety. Green Bay didn't decide to bring back Adrian Amos a couple of hours ago. I just found out that he signed with the New York Jets. But I mean, their secondary is really solid. You got Jair Alexander. You also have Darnell Savage manning your strong safety position. This Green Bay Packers defense should definitely take a step up. And I really like their defensive line. We know about Kenny Clark. Devontae White is probably going to be in for a pretty good second season. Green Bay, how good they're going to be this year is largely going to depend on how Jordan Love plays. But for the viewer who wrote this comment down in the comment section, they call Jordan Love a bridge quarterback. I don't know if I can agree with that, man. I don't think the Packers are going into this season viewing this thing as a rebuild. I think they have legitimate faith in Jordan Love. If they didn't have faith in Jordan Love and this dude couldn't play, I promise you they probably want to be throwing him out there. The Green Bay Packers haven't missed that quarterback in what, the last three decades? They went from... Brett Starr, they had Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and I know many people think that they're probably going to miss with Jordan Love, but Jordan Love, I think, is a little bit better than what some people are giving him credit for. He has a really good arm. He's going to be able to push the football downfield, something that Aaron Rodgers didn't really do a lot of last year. He's going to take more risk, more chances with the football, and plus, he's a way better athlete than what Aaron Rodgers is. And I'm not trying to say that Aaron Rodgers is a bummy athlete. He's a pretty good athlete, but Jordan Love is just way better and he's more physically imposing than what Aaron Rodgers is. You can do a little bit more things on offense with Jordan Love at the helm at QB. You can run read option. You can get some design quarterback runs going. And Jordan Love is also going to have a really good run game. You got A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, that's one of the best one-two punches in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers, I do not think that this is a rebuild. When I go back and I look at this comment, calling Jordan Love a bridge quarterback, I just don't understand how you can view him as a bridge quarterback, man. If Green Bay viewed him as a bridge quarterback, I promise you they probably would have traded away some more assets. I don't think that Green Bay is going into a rebuilding year. I think Green Bay expects to compete with Jordan Love in this division. And I know we automatically want to give the NFC North to the Detroit Lions. 
the Lions look like one of the best teams in this conference. But if Jordan Love actually ends up being good, I expect Green Bay to be able to compete for the NFC North title this year. But the call, Jordan Love or Bridge quarterback, the call, the Packers, and what they're doing right now, rebuild, I just can't agree with you, fam. I can't agree with you. One thing about this Green Bay Packers organization, man, I don't think they're willing to spend the whole season rebuilding. I don't think they're down to use 2023 as a year to rebuild. This team doesn't really rebuild. They kind of just, if they have some issues, they fix it up on the fly. This is a team that is good enough to be able to make it to the postseason as long as Jordan Love plays good. And with how many of you guys are doubting Jordan Love, I'm kind of hoping that this brother ends up balling out this year. Because really, man, you calling this dude a bridge quarterback? You don't think that's just a tad bit disrespectful? And I mean, we don't really have a large sample size of seeing Jordan Love play. So we don't really know who this guy is. This guy's only started in what? Two games? Two games? And you already know what Jordan Love is. Nobody knows what Jordan Love is. The people who think they know who Jordan Love is, they're just kind of going off assumptions. Because there's no way you can watch this guy in two games and say that you know what the Packers have in Jordan Love. Because no, we don't. Jordan Love needs a way larger sample size for us to probably be able to analyze how good he is and what the Packers have in him moving forward. This dude is not a bridge quarterback. Some of y'all got to chill. Like, I don't know if some of y'all be writing these comments high or drunk or whatever, bro. But you really call Jordan Love a bridge quarterback? This dude is not a bridge quarterback. He could be a bridge quarterback if he plays bad. But I don't think the Green Bay Packers are going into this season saying that it's a throwaway year and they are expecting to be bad. This is a team last year that... Almost made it into the postseason despite the fact that they didn't good they didn't get good play out of their offense. And there is a possibility that maybe the Green Bay Packers offense ends up being better this season than what it was last year under Aaron Rodgers. That thing with Aaron Rodgers just was not working anymore. It wasn't. There's a reason why Green Bay traded up for Jordan Love. I don't think they traded up and gave up what they gave up to trade back into the first round just to get Jordan Love and then give up on him without giving this man a full season. But to call this dude a bridge quarterback, man, I mean, give the brother a chance. Geez, some of y'all in the offseason just be too quick to pull the trigger. I'm glad whoever wrote this comment is the general manager because he would be out of a job fairly quickly. Damn, you only got two games to prove yourself, dog, and you, you out just like that? I mean, Jesus, bruh. Jesus. We already looking ahead to next year's quarterbacks. We don't know how good Drake May or Michael Penix or Bo Nix or Kayla Williams are going to be at the NFL level, even though I am going to leave Kayla Williams out of this because that brother's just on a different level. But Jesus, man. You're just calling this man a bridge quarterback off two games and the regular season started? Give me a break. Some of y'all got to chill. Some of y'all got to be a little bit more patient, man. The Packers have a good enough team that as long as Jordan Love is serviceable, they can be able to compete for a playoff spot. And if this dude ends up playing up to the billing of being a first-round caliber quarterback, the Green Bay Packers are going to have another decade or two of domination in this division.
I want to talk about the NFL offseasons, best staff hires, in my opinion. Now, if you are somebody who bets on the NFL, you bet on over-under win totals, or you bet on futures bets like I do, you really need to be paying attention to this segment, especially if you're somebody who just bets on these games week by week. Because the difference between teams making it to the playoffs and not making it to the playoffs and making deep playoff runs is largely dependent on who they have on their coaching staff. Everybody pays attention to just the players on the field and the head coaches, but the sign of a good coach is also dependent on who he hires on his staff. And there are some really good staff hires that I don't really see enough people in the media talking about. Like a lot of people in the media just talk about who's better, who's the best QB, who's the most talented team. But I rarely see anybody on ESPN covering these staff hires. So I'm going to give you guys some of my best staff hires that were made over the course of this offseason. And once again, if you bet money on the NFL, especially over under win totals, you really need to pay attention to some of these because some of these are going to win you a lot of money if you pay attention to them and you get on these. Because these coordinators, some of these guys are good enough to be the difference between a team that didn't make it to the playoffs last year, making it into the postseason this year. Let's start off with Kellen Moore. He was the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys for the last couple of years. And last season, I feel like he was scapegoated. And whenever I talk to a Dallas Cowboys fans about Kellen Moore, none of them want to put any blame on Dak Prescott. It was just all Kellen Moore's fault. And you're giving Kellen Moore to the LA Chargers, and you're giving him one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league in Justin Herbert. And something that Kellen Moore does really well is being able to get the most out of the deep vertical passing game. And something about Justin Herbert is that he kind of has been put in shackles. He kind of has been put on handcuffs with his previous offensive coordinator and dating back to his offense that he was playing in under Mario Cristobal at Oregon. He was really never allowed to show his true talent. And what Justin Herbert does best is sling that damn football. And with Kellen Moore as his OC, he's going to let Justin Herbert sling that thing downfield. I think that this was one of the best staff hires of this whole entire offseason. A lot of Dallas Cowboy fans make it seem like Kellen Moore was just a god-awful offensive coordinator. But if this dude was so bad, explain to me how Cooper Rush... Went what three and four? What three and one? Four and one as a starter in replace of Dak Prescott? You just don't do that with a backup QB if you don't have a good offensive coordinator. The Dallas Cowboys had a top ten offense last year. Yeah, I get that their offense eroded down the stretch, but I'm not gonna blame that on Kellen Moore. Does he deserve a little bit of blame? Yeah, he probably could do things better. But to just put all of Dallas' second-half offensive struggles on Kellen Moore is just absolutely ridiculous. He wasn't the dude out there throwing those interceptions. Michael Gallup wasn't even that good last season. The Chargers got a really good addition. And Kellen Moore, this guy is going to elevate the Chargers' offense into possibly being one of the top five best offenses in the NFL this year. You have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, you have... Quinn Johnston out of TCU. Your offensive line should be pretty good as long as everybody can stay healthy. You're going to have Austin Eckler in the backfield. We saw what he was able to do when he had Tony Pollard 
So for Kellen Moore, I think that him going to the Chargers is a way better situation than him being with the Dallas Cowboys. You got a better quarterback. You got a better receiving core. I think Kellen Moore was a really good pickup by the LA Chargers. Arab enemy. When I talked about earlier how some of these guys are going to be the difference between the team who didn't make it to the playoffs last year and that team making it to the playoffs this year, I think Arab enemy is going to be that guy. Washington went 8-8-1 with Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz at QB and Sam Howell who started the last game of the season. And the reason why Washington didn't make it to the postseason was because their offense was crappy under Scott Turner. Now, since Ron Rivera has been the head coach of the Commanders, they've always had a top 10 defense. And with Eric Bieniemy calling the plays on offense, if he's as good as a coach as many people make him out to be, this offense should dramatically improve. Regardless if Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett is starting at QB, they have a really good group of wide receivers. Curtis Samuel, Scary Terry is pretty much a top 10 receiver. And you got Jahan Dotson, who was having just as good as a rookie season as Garrett Wilson was prior to him going down with that injury. A lot of people in the national media go to bat for Airbnb enemy being a head coach. And if this dude is head coach material, then he should be able to elevate this offense. He was on Kansas City staff for the last couple of years. He played a really pivotal a really pivotal role in Kansas City, beating Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. So for Airbnb, now he's going to a place in Washington where nobody's going to question just how big of an impact he had on the success of the offense. We know he's going to be the one running the show. He also has been assigned as a assistant head coach to Ron Rivera. So if Airbnb is as good as a head coach as many people make him out to be, this offense that Washington has should be a top 10, top 12 offense. They got a really good group of running backs, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, Chris Rodriguez, rookie out of Kentucky. If Arab enemy ends up working out, Washington, without a doubt, is going to be a lock for the playoffs, and they possibly could end up contending for this division. It may sound a little bit crazy. They may not be as talented as Philadelphia, but you know those division games always tend to be a little bit close. I think with Arab enemy the commanders are a 10-win nine-win team this year, and I think that a lot of people are sleeping on the commanders this year. They got Airbnb, the offense should improve, and they're going to have a top 10 defense. Vic Vangio was a huge pickup by the Miami Dolphins, and they made this guy the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL, and he supposedly was supposed to go to the Philadelphia Eagles, but Mike Daniel and Miami they were able to get them to come to South Beach. And when you look at Miami's defense, oh my God. They have a lot of talent on defense. They traded for Jalen Ramsey. They got Javon Holland at safety. Xavier Howard was battling with some injuries, but he didn't really play all that well, even when he was healthy. So hopefully with Vic Vangio coming back, Xavier Howard can bounce back. He should be able to get the most out of Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb had his most productive seasons when he was playing under Vic Vangio when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And every single season that Vic Vangio was the head coach in Denver, they had a top 10 defense. They were really good when it came to getting stops in the red zone. And I think when you look at this division, having a guy like Vic Vangio going against Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen is going to come up big time when it comes to slowing those guys down. 
For the Miami Dolphins, their defense under Josh Boyer at times was not good. So Vic Vanjo is going to be a major improvement from Josh Boyer. And there was one person in the comment section that said that it took at least a year or two for Vic Vanjo's defense to start performing at an elite level. No, it did not. As soon as he got to Denver, they instantly had a top 10 defense. They were top three in points per game allowed and red zone defense and two out of three years that he was there. So for Vic Vangio, him becoming the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins was a huge get. There's a reason why he's the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. The Carolina Panthers have defensive coordinator Ijaro Evero. Hopefully I pronounced that right. This was somebody who the Denver Broncos wanted to take over as their interim head coach when they fired Nathaniel Hackett. Ijaro Evero, he ends up saying, nah, I'm good off that. He remained the D.C. And if you watched Denver last year, the only thing that was watchable about the Broncos was this defense. This defense was the sole reason why the Denver Broncos low-key had the chance in some of the games that were actually close. And now he joins Frank Wright's staff in Carolina with a defense that has Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, hopefully J.C. Horn if he can stay healthy, Derek Brown. There is a lot of talent on Carolina's defense. And I think that Carolina is a little bit of a sleeper. I think they're one of the more underrated teams going into this year. And they probably are my pick to win this division. I think getting defensive coordinator Jawa Evero was a huge pickup for Frank Wright. And there were a lot of guys who also wanted Ijawa Evero on their staff. So it's not like the Carolina Panthers were his only option. This dude is one of the best up-and-coming defensive minds in the league. Offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. This is, if I had to rank all these staff hires in order from best to worst, I would have Todd Munkin at number one. Todd Munkin is about to unleash and unlock the full potential of Lamar Jackson this year. What was holding Lamar Jackson back? A lot of people say Greg Roman, his inability to adapt his passing concepts to a more modern NFL level held back the passing production that the Ravens could have had in the postseason. And when you look at Lamar Jackson, now that he actually has some weapons around him and a legitimate offensive coordinator that specializes in getting the most out of the passing game, he probably is going to be right back in the MVP conversation. And Todd Munkin, think about what he did at Georgia. I know you can't compare the NFL to college football, but you got to give this man props for winning with a walk-on quarterback. And I'm not trying to say this to discredit Stetson Bennett, but come on. How many coaches are winning with a walk-on quarterback in college football? Do you not know how hard that is to do? He also spent time as the OC for the Cleveland Browns in 2019 under Freddie Kitchens, even though he didn't call the plays that year, which was pretty weird. And then before that, when he was with Derek Cutter during his time in Temple Bay, his last season there under Derek Cutter, they had the best passing attack in the NFL with Ryan Fitzmagic and Jameis Winston. This dude, Todd Munkin, is about to do God's work with Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense. This dude is going to be the most impactful offseason staff hire. And many of you guys need to remember this man's name because when Lamar Jackson starts cooking and you start trying to figure out how Lamar Jackson just became this elite passer all of a sudden, you need to remember the name Todd Motherfreaking Munkin.
aka we're going to call him T-Money because that's how that Ravens offense is going to look with him calling the plays like money. Steve Wilkes, I know you guys remember when the Carolina Panthers damn near came close to winning the NFC South last year. They were terrible under Matt Rule. They fired Matt Rule middle of the season. And all of a sudden, Steve Wilkes has the Carolina Panthers playing inspired football. And there were many Panthers fans who were rooting for Steve Wilkes to become the full-time head coach. And he didn't get that opportunity. They fired Frank Wright. Don't really have a problem with that. And now Steve Wilkes joins Kyle Shanahan's staff. And Kyle Shanahan, his previous defensive coordinators, have all gotten head coaching jobs. Recently, D'Amico Ryans, Robert Sala before him. Steve Wilkes going to the San Francisco 49ers was the best situation for him because now he's going to have the opportunity to prove himself and once again get another head coaching job because he got the wrong end of the stick when he was briefly the head coach for one season in Arizona. Steve Wilkes is inheriting a already stacked defense. They already signed Javon Hargrave like they didn't have Nick Bosa already. You got a really good group of linebackers, Fred Warner. You got Hullafunga at safety. This is a really good defense that Steve Wilkes is inheriting, and I expect the 49ers defense to remain the lead under him. Brian Flores, he was on Pittsburgh staff last year. Mike Tomlin was really thrilled to have this guy on his staff. He was a linebackers coach, but really he was just all around when it came to what he was doing on that Steelers defense. And when you listen to Mike Tomlin talk about this man, he holds Brian Flores in high regards. Every time you listen to Mike Tomlin talk about Brian Flores, he says, this man Brian Flores is a really good football coach. When Mike Tomlin talked about bringing in Brian Flores at first, he couldn't believe that this dude was available. And he went up to his owner and he said, hey man, can we get Brian Flores? He said, hell yeah. And Mike Tomlin said, man, we got a chance to get a really good football coach. It don't matter what position we line him up at when it comes to what he's going to be doing on our staff. We just need to get this guy in because this dude this is an incredible football coach, incredible leader of men. There are a lot of people who have a lot of respect and admiration for Brian Flores as a DC. This dude, everywhere he's been, his first season calling the plays as a defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, their defense went from below average to amongst the best in the league. His defenses are normally really aggressive. They generate a lot of turnovers. Now, I don't know how good Minnesota's defense is going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to make that kind of jump going from where they were last season to top 10. But this defense, without a doubt, should be way better this season than what it was last year under their previous defensive coordinator. Their defense last year was too conservative. It got carved up by Daniel freaking Jones, fam. Not once, but twice. Twice did Minnesota's defense get embarrassed by Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. So I think for Minnesota, hiring Brian Flores is going to be what keeps them afloat, even though their defense may not have a lot of talent. But I do think that it should be better than what it was last season. They have a lot of guys like Lewis Seen who fit perfectly into Brian Flores' aggressive style of defense. I think he was a really good pickup. And the last staff hire that I think was really good was the hiring of Bill O'Brien. People in the national media make it seem like this dude is going to be the general manager or the head coach. He's not. He's going to be calling the plays. And this dude is going to be a major upgrade over Matt Patricia. I was listening to Shannon Sharp 
and Skip Bayless a couple of days ago when the news first came out that they had hired Bill O'Brien a couple of months ago say that the offense wasn't going to improve at all under him. That's ridiculous, dog. They had Matt Patricia calling plays on offense. This dude was a former defensive coordinator. He never called plays at all on offense. Bill Belichick gave the perfect recipe, the perfect sauce to ruining your young quarterback. You want to ruin your young quarterback in the second season? Arguably the most important year for a young quarterback's development. Go ahead and make a defensive coordinator his offensive coordinator. And boom, you get a recipe for disaster. This man, Bill Belichick, got mad when Matt Jones seeked outside help. Like, they need Bill O'Brien. With Bill O'Brien, this offense, it's not going to be elite, but it's going to be average at best. And that's all New England needs because they're going to have a really outstanding defense. And if you're a Patriots fan, you're happy to have Bill O'Brien on your staff as opposed to having Fatty P as your OC. And some New England fans feel like Bill O'Brien may be a better offensive coordinator than Josh McDaniels. Bill O'Brien, this dude knows football. Have any of you guys ever listened to a Bill O'Brien coaching clinic on YouTube? You need to go to if you're a real football junkie like me because just listening to Bill O'Brien talk about football for five minutes, he's going to have you feeling like you're a football genius. But these are my best offseason staff hires from this NFL offseason. These are guys that a lot of you guys need to remember. You need to write them down in your notes because some of these guys are going to be the reasons why some of these teams end up overachieving. There are a lot of people sleeping on the Washington Commanders. I believe that they're going to be a lock for the playoffs this year, and I'm willing to live and die on that hill because of Airbnb. The Ravens are legitimate Super Bowl contenders because of the addition of Todd Munkin and how he's going to elevate that offense and particularly that passing game. You need to make sure that you take notes of some of these staff hires that I just mentioned because some of these guys are going to be the difference between their teams winning their divisions, making it to the postseason, and maybe making a deep run in the playoffs. I think that the Washington Huskies are the best team in the Pac-12 going into this season, man. Year one under Kalen DeBoer, these boys went 11-2. They had Michael Penix. Michael Penix, out of all people, was having a fantastic season. The Pac-12 was the quarterback rehabilitation conference. First, we had Bo Nix going from Auburn to Oregon, playing at a Heisman level, and then we had Michael Penix, dog. Michael Penix? Now, to his credit, Michael Penix, in my opinion, was never really a bad QB. The brother just couldn't stay healthy. All of a sudden, Kellen DeBoer gets his hands on Michael Penix, and this dude turns glitter to gold. Michael Penix, this dude can really throw that damn rock. I remember it was 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. I was in my college dorm watching the Washington Huskies play Oregon State. And what, 30 to 45 mile per hour wins? And this dude, Michael Penix, threw an absolutely beautiful dime against Oregon State, who was running a cover two defense that play. Not only that, but they have the best wide receiving core in this conference, probably the second best receiving core in all of college football behind Ohio State. They returned 74% of their offensive production from last year. They returned 73% of their production on defense from last year now their offensive line 
despite having three new starters on their two offensive guard positions in that center, still should be really good. Now, I don't think they're going to be as good as what they were last year, only allowing seven sacks, but I do think that this is still going to be amongst the nation's best offensive lines with the fact that they have two really good offensive tackles who should be playing on Sunday. Your running back position should be pretty good as well. When it comes to Washington being able to win the Pac-12 this year, it's really going to come down to the improvement that they make on defense. And I believe that their defense is going to improve because there are a lot of teams in this team in this conference who are going to be competing for the conference championship who didn't really play great defense. The two best defensive teams in this conference last year were Washington State and Oregon State. For Washington, you don't need your defense to me to be amongst the best in college football. You just need your defense to get a damn stop every once in a while. They have a fantastic defensive line that returns a lot of experience and a lot of talent. There are two guys who are going to be projected first-round picks going into next year's draft, in particular, Braylon Trice who led the team with 10 sacks. Now, there's another guy on this defensive line, and Husky fans, you guys already know who I'm talking about. I'm just not going to try to pronounce his name because it's way too damn difficult to pronounce. But the Huskies have some real dogs on this defensive line. This is probably, if not the best defensive line, one of the best in this conference. And that linebacker, many coaches on this coaching staff believe that this is probably the most talented that this linebacker room has been in recent memory. Your main concern about this defense doesn't really lie with the front seven, but it really lies on the back end of this secondary. This cornerback position was not good last year. They got a lot of help in the transfer portal. They brought in Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State, who is one of the best cornerbacks in the Big 12. You know in the Big 12, them boys air that football out. So he's going to come. He's going to have an immediate impact on this defense. They got experience at safety. So I think their cornerback position should be much better this season than what it was last year. And I expect this defense to improve. I don't think that this pass defense can get any worse than what the hell it was last year. And I know people say, JT, things can always get worse. No, dog. No. This defense, when it came to stopping the pass, was non-existent. This offense had no choice but to be one of the best offenses in college football because they knew if they didn't win the game, the defense damn sure as hell wasn't going to help them win the game. And there were plenty of times where you probably was hoping that the defense wasn't on the field and had to close out the game for you. Their defense was so bad that you probably had to rely on your offense to be able to close games out for you. For Washington, I think their defense this year is going to be the difference why they're going to be able to win the Pac-12. And when you look at their schedule, it's not that difficult. They play Boise State, Tulsa. They got to go on the road and play Michigan State. They play Cal, Arizona State. They should be 5-0 going into their bye week before they play Oregon. And they get to play Oregon coming off a bye at home. So there's a large possibility that they could be 6-0. Then they play Arizona State. They could be 7-0. They got to go on the road and play Stanford, who's going to be terrible this year. 8-0. And then that's when Washington gets into the meat and potatoes of their conference schedule. They got to go on the road and play USC and Caleb Williams. Then they got to play Utah, but you get them at home. They got to play Oregon State on the road. Then Washington State. 
in the Apple Cup to close the season. But for Washington, though, if they could get out of that last stretch of their schedule with only one loss, they're going to be in position to not only be in the Pac-12 championships, which they most likely will, but they also are going to have a chance at being able to make it into the college football playoffs. This is one of the most talented rosters and college football, maybe not by recruiting rankings. If you go and you look at 247 Sports Team Talent Composite rankings, they're probably not going to be up there in that category. But when you look at guys from an NFL standpoint, like the guys they have at receive at receiver on the offensive line and on the defensive line, there's going to be a lot of guys on this team who are going to be hearing their name called come next season. When it comes to Teams in the Pac-12 that have the most NFL talent on their roster, I think that Washington is number one. The Huskies this year, I'm picking them to win the Pac-12, man. I think at worst, they have one loss, maybe two, and I still think that'll be good enough to get them into the Pac-12 championship game because oddly enough, they didn't make it into the Pac-12 championship last game last year because of a weird tiebreaker. I don't know why the hell they won the Pac-12 championship, but I would have loved to see Washington play USC last year. That would have been a fantastic game. You would have had nothing but offense, no defense. And I still think that what makes Washington my pick to win the Pac-12 is that I think their defense is going to be better than USC's. I think their defense is possibly going to be the second best in this conference behind Oregon State, Utah, whoever else you think is going to have a better defense than Washington. But it's not like Washington needs a elite defense to win. They just need a defense that can get key stops. This offense is still going to be able to put a lot of points on the board against you. They retain their offensive coordinator. They have a really solid offensive line when you look at their tackle spots. Your only concern is going to be the interior of their offensive line. I think they're going to be pretty set there. They like the guys who they have up front this season. I think that the Washington Huskies are going to win the Pac-12 this season. I think that this is either the second or the most talented team in the Pac-12. And I think with one loss, they will be good enough to get into the college football playoffs. That's why I'm picking the Washington Huskies to win the Pac-12 this season, man. I love this conference, man. Do y'all not love the Pac-12? Like I was really up. At 3 a.m. in the morning, watching these boys play against Oregon State, fam. The Pac-12 is probably my favorite conference this year going into the 2023 college football season, man. There were a lot of great stories. Michael Penix is a legitimate Heisman contender. With another great season, he can end up hearing his name called. That's why you love the transfer portal, people. Recently, it was announced that Netflix was going to be launching a new documentary series called Quarterback. And it's going to be following Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota from last season. We're really going to have an in-depth look at what it means to be a quarterback in the NFL and what comes with being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, he led the Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl, so that's going to be really exciting to watch. We're going to see Kirk Cousins, who led the Minnesota Vikings on several comebacks last season. And then we get Marcus Mariota, who ended up getting benched for Desmond Ritter. And then the dude disappeared near the end of the season. And I think that this is going to be a good look at figuring out what separates the best quarterbacks in the game 
from the average quarterbacks in the game, from the worst quarterbacks in the game. We're going to see the worth ethic that these guys put in. How much film do they watch? How do they interact with their teammates? How do they elevate their team in high adversity situations? And we also are going to take a look at the trailer. Because I didn't watch any of this trailer yet. I wanted to save this for the episode. So here we go, man. Why does the NFL have so many rules against hitting quarterbacks? A quarterback throwing a pass is wide open for dangerous hits. Sheesh! That boy, Von Miller, that boy out! Oh, we gotta see that in slow motion. Hold on, I gotta see that in slow motion. Oh, that boy, Von Miller, that boy out. Oh! Sheesh! That boy Von Miller was humming. Ooh! That boy Von Miller was humming, boy. Ooh! Y'all gonna be in trouble when he get back healthy, boy. Fuck it. Injury to the quarterback. And think a team's entire season. Dang. I'm gonna take you out here. No. Hell no. I'm good. This is about as close as they'll ever get to seeing what it's like to be a quarterback in this league. Yeah, I wanna... You know, I really want to know what was going through Kirk Cousins' mind when he threw that damn check down, the final play against the New York Giants in the wild card round loss, bruh. You mean to tell me that you thought throwing a four-yard pass that TJ Hawkinson was going to help you convert on fourth and long? Like, I really can't wait for this thing to come out, bruh, because I want to know what the hell was going through his mind when he made that damn decision. Like, what? Throw the ball up to Justin Jefferson, dude. It's not that difficult. You got the season on the line. You in the postseason. You competing for a damn championship, bro. And you going to throw a check down to TJ Hawkinson, bro? That thing still got me heated. I'm still tired about that, man. I'm still tired about that, man. I, I can't wait for this thing to come out. I got to hear what the hell he was thinking on that, man. For real. The football. All day, all day. I love to compete. I love the relationships that come with that. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And that boy Kirk Cousins getting laid out. Everybody sees the game days, but they don't see the day-to-day grind. Every season's a roller coaster. Hey, you got one opportunity a week. Marcus will keep it and score. It's really nice to get him away from football and spend time with our family. Oh my gosh, he made it the first try. How many y'all make? I knew that one. I said wait. Just kind of a basic guy. What dad style? If ever I do go out of my shell, it seems ah. to be coming. Let's go. This was a turducken. Give one game plan one game, then a completely different game plan the next. That's a good ass hit, though. Great play, dog. I know what I signed up for. Dang! Who did that? Who, who who did Marcus Mariota like that? Boy, you would have thought they was in WWE. Boy, he just got that boy a spine buster. Y'all seen that? That boy Marcus Mariota just got a spine buster. He just got that boy a spine buster. We got to watch this in slow motion, people. 
I know y'all might be tired of me pausing, but if y'all want to see the full thing without me pausing it and looking at this spine buster, I will put the link down in the description so you can watch this. Look at this. He got that boy a spine buster. You would have thought he was Triple H. Ooh. Man, he got that boy a spine buster. They ain't show it, boy. They ain't, they ain't show the full hit, but he got that boy a spine buster. A double A spine buster. That's what they call it. Sheesh. Sit down, boy. Mm. My instinct has always been, I'm going to be the guy to make the play. And I think that kind of gets me in trouble. Let's go out there and find a way to drag our ass across the finish line. The Hulk is in trouble, scrambling to his right. I say, wait, gets off the hip, and the first of late, caught <laughs> that boy said he liked that hell yeah that boy patch mahomes is something different for real man for real so you guys gotta let me know your thoughts on this man are you guys gonna be tuning in for the upcoming nfl documentary that's gonna be showcasing how these quarter oh turn that thing off but you guys going to be tuning in for this, man. We're going to get a real in-depth view of what it means to be an NFL QB. You got Marcus Mariota, Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes. I'm really interested in seeing how they prepare, how they go into game days, what's their mindsets, what's their pre-game routines. Like, I really, I'm really just a football nerd, so these kind of documentaries just always intrigue my interest. Especially when you have a guy like Marcus Mariota who he pretty much knows that this is going to be his last opportunity to be a starting QB. And then you got Kirk Cousins, man. I mean, this dude let so many comebacks, but at the same time, like, this dude was really conservative in big games. Like, I want to see, like, just how his mental is. Like, I was listening to one of my homeboys a couple of days ago. He was telling me that, you know what separates guys like Tom Brady and LeBron from, like, the average players? It's just, like... In big moments, and big situations, high-pressure situations, they're just wired differently. Some guys just are programmed to win. They just go about handling adversity differently as opposed to the normal, typical quarterbacks like your Dak Prescott and your Kirk Cousins. So I really want to see what makes Patrick Mahomes him. You heard what that boy said that he threw that touchdown against the Bucs. I'm like that. That boy is. I really want to see what Patrick Mahomes does, how he prepares that separates him and makes him the best quarterback in the league. Like, this is going to be an awesome documentary, man, for real. But let me know how you guys feel about the upcoming quarterback documentary series by Netflix. Peyton Manning also is the executive producer of this thing. Also, NFL Films help play a large part in making this thing happen so you already know that the production is going to be a one all these quarterbacks were mic'd up from week one to the final week of the regular season even though i'm interested in seeing what the hell happened to marcus Mariota after he got benched because he did get called out by arthur smith for pretty much quitting on the team he tried to say he had an injury but i, I just want to know man i just can't wait for this thing to come out but this is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. 
make sure that you leave a like comment and subscribe we go live every day monday through friday 5 p.m eastern time if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast leave us with a five-star review we'll greatly appreciate it and i will see you guys shortly with another episode of the jt sports podcast